Welcome to the Teaching with Inquiry live podcast replay, fitting it all together to make inquiry-based learning accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Teaching with Inquiry. If this is the second time you're seeing me tonight, welcome back. Tonight, we are going to be talking about assessment and feedback. When I surveyed my audience and the people who are in my community, they overwhelmingly told me that one of the topics that they were most interested in talking about or were struggling through right now was on the topic of assessment and feedback. So while we are all figuring this out together and it is brand new type of teaching for everyone, I thought it was a good opportunity to come up live and have a chat with you and talk about assessment and feedback, what that can look like in a classroom. We can troubleshoot some ideas. I'm going to share with you perhaps my thinking of what assessment and feedback can look like during this time. And I know it's probably going to be a little bit different based on some of the discussion threads I've heard, but I want to take a little bit of a very simplistic look at what assessment and feedback is, primarily because I don't have time to be giving paragraph responses to absolutely everything my students submit to me. So I need to somehow come up with a quick, dirty strategy that will allow me to provide feedback to my students that is manageable and timely and still kind of fits what we're doing. So we're going to talk all about that. If at any point in time during our video, you have a question or a comment or you want to join into the discussion, please add your comments into the comment section below because I would love to have this as an open discussion. It's one of the reasons why I chose to go live tonight instead of pre-recording this video because I think we all just need timely conversation about what is happening right now in teaching. So if you are new to this video series, my name is Patty and I am a four or five teacher in Ontario, Canada. And I have been coming live or having a video out every Monday night at nine o'clock for about 134, this is my 134th video. So there is a lot of content that we can talk about. This is new for teaching, so that's why we're kind of talking about it live and having those discussions. So let me see here. Okay, so we're going to be talking all about assessment and feedback. So one of the things I want to go through are what are some of the guidelines that we're being told about assessment and feedback specifically for here in Ontario, and it's probably fairly similar in other jurisdictions, but my experience right now is Ontario, so I'm going to go over some of the guidelines that I have been following. I also want to talk about the kind of quality work that is being submitted and whether or not that's going to be a factor in whether or not we're going to provide assessment and feedback do we assess? What does that look like? What is feedback? And how are we going to give that feedback? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about specifically today. 
So what is the Ministry of Ontario and Ministry of Education saying right now for that? It says that we need to provide feedback on progress that students are doing. It says, yes, we're certainly going to be writing final report cards. However, no summative evaluation will be required of this at-home learning portion. So the portion we're doing right now, we're not being required to comment on that in terms of their summative evaluation for elementary. It means that only things that have happened before March 13th, so before we left for spring break, are to be counted for that report card. It also means that evidence of learning during the school closures can be counted, but only when it's in the best interest of students. So we can take the work that they're doing now into consideration, but the bulk of their evaluative mark is going to come from that content that we did February and the first half of March, which isn't a lot. So there is going to be some of our professional judgment that's going to have to say, okay, the students have done, this student has done particularly well, and I can justify why perhaps that mark of a C might really be a B by the final term. And it's really kind of touchy-feely from what I interpret this to be is we're not doing any evaluative marking right now. None of the things the students are going to complete are going to be counted towards a report card. However, it can help to boost a report card mark if we feel as though that's warranted and it's in the best interest of students. So it's gonna go up, it can't go back down. So that's kind of the messaging that I am hearing and I'm reading from the Ministry of Education. So with that in mind, that somehow framed how I am trying to as simply and easily as possible provide feedback for my students while not counting anything that they're doing to the report card right now. So what are your students doing? I think that's the big question and it's going to determine what kind of feedback that you're going to be providing for them. So right now I know for myself my students are doing some reviewing of concepts. We are I'm giving them exposure to new skills because I know that they're going to be going on to grade six next year. So I don't want there to be a huge gap. A lot of my term two expectations especially for math where things like fractions and decimals um, those concepts are in division. Those concepts are important concepts that students need to be exposed to. I may not be evaluating their success at that for their report card. However, I am going to be giving them some opportunities and some exposure to that content because I think it's going to be invaluable for them moving forward. And certainly their teacher next year is going to have to help them catch up, but at least they've seen it. And their parents can do, if their parents are able to, they can be supportive in helping students expose them to these new concepts. I'm also really focusing on essential skills only. So I'm focusing way more on number sense and writing, specific writing concepts, things like grammar, um, spelling, writing forms in particular that students are saying that they're interested in um, or had in the past shown interest in in the classroom. So I'm really focusing and trying to narrow my focus so I'm not really covering all the specific expectations, obviously, but I am covering, I'm determining myself what is most essential. So I'm focusing on number sense, I'm focusing on grammar and kind of the um, nitty gritty mechanics of a lot of the language things. And there's also going to be an element of fun activities that students are going to be doing because we want to keep them engaged. So we don't want to just be giving them boring worksheet after worksheet. We do want to kind of 
It also includes some fun activities. And for me, I know I'm certainly using the materials that are being provided by prep coverage teachers for music and drama and art and phys ed. All of those teachers that I work with are amazing and they are providing such a great wealth of information for students in those topic areas. So it's not necessarily something I'm planning, but definitely something I'm giving my students access to. So what exactly are we going to assess? Well, and when I say assess, I'm really looking at what am I marking and what am I going to pay attention to that my students are doing. Even on a regular day, I'm not going to be assessing and marking absolutely everything my students do and touch. I just don't have time for that. I mean, I very enviously look at teachers who are able to assess and mark all of that stuff. I just, I can't. So if I'm not going to do it during a regular day, I'm probably not going to be doing it during distance learning when I don't have 100% of my students handing work in. So am, what are we going to assess? Are we going to assess everything? No, not for me. Some of the things, yeah, and or nothing. And that's a valid option too. I mean, all of those are really going to be determined based on the teacher's ability and um, need and what's going to work for them. But Really, if you're anywhere on that continuum where you're assessing everything they do or you're assessing nothing that they do, I think it's okay. I think you're okay if you're anywhere on that continuum. You just have to be comfortable with where you are. I'm somewhere in the something category. I'm kind of in the middle between I'm not assessing everything, but I'm assessing more than nothing. So I'm kind of in the middle myself, but I think we have to look at that as a continuum. And it, at this point, it's okay if we're anywhere. And that's really open-ended. So I think we're all doing really well at that. So yay us. So for example, this is the weekly schedule I gave my students. Um, now, you'll see the things that are highlighted in yellow, and with the exception of science, because that's not a subject that I'm currently teaching, being that I'm only part-time this year. So I have three things that I'm going to be looking at for students this week. So they're doing things all the time. They've got problems of the day for math that I will look at, but I'm not assessing. If they don't get it done, that's okay. Um, if they will have a quiz this week, so you'll notice that they have a quiz. And we'll get into that a little bit later with why I'm doing a quiz during this time. And we also have some reading activities. So these are the, those things in yellow are the Essentially, if you did three things this week in my classroom, those are the three things I'd want you to do. And it's, I've been requested by parents that I really just even narrow it down to what are the essential things you want me to do? And if we can get rid of some other things because it's too much for my particular child, then I will just focus on those three things. Now, if I didn't have that math quiz, I would be doing a math journal in place of that math quiz. And the math journal is the thing I mark. So I don't mark anything else that they do for math. I just mark that math journal. So some of them will hand work in, and I think that's great. They'll hand it in as evidence for their math journal, but I really have their math journal. I know we talked a little bit more about the math journal during last week's live video as well. So if you haven't seen that one, go back um, on my Facebook page, scroll down a little bit, and you'll find last week's video. You'll also find it posted on YouTube as well as in the podcast that this live video is rebroadcast into. So there's lots of places you can find the previous videos for this. So I'm really narrowing it down, what I'm marking and, I'm, and what I'm assessing or what I'm providing feedback for. They're kind of all in the same for me. And I think that that 
really helps me to focus on what it is I'm doing. Now, you'll notice that I don't have anything for writing this week, and that's because it's a two-week process that we've talked about as a class. So there's nothing that they really need to hand in. They just need to tell me where they are in terms of a status of the class, but that's everything. So do I mark everything? No. Do I give feedback on everything? No. How do I give feedback? I give feedback primarily in three ways. And this is where I said I think this might be a little bit surprising or even controversial. And a few of you may even disagree with me on this, and that's totally okay. But this is how I'm giving feedback. I'm giving written feedback in terms of comments. I will respond using the comment feature on Google Classroom. I will private comment um, as a feedback when I'm marking them through Google Classroom. I will provide a private comment. Sometimes they are individualized. Sometimes they are slightly altered generic comments. I don't feel the pressure to provide a unique and individualized comment for every single student. I'm okay if it's not that. I'm also providing oral feedback because I am meeting with my students twice a week. So they each have a small group instruction time and a whole group instruction time. And during that small group instruction, I'm able to give the group some feedback on how they're doing and be a bit more responsive that way. So they're definitely getting some feedback through those small groups. And I'm also providing marks. Now those marks are meaningless. They're not going to count for everything. But I also find that sometimes a leveled mark is a great indication for students whether or not they are at what the work they did is at expectations, above expectations, or approaching expectations. That whole feedback language is something we spent a ton of time talking about before we left on this break. So it wouldn't be natural for me to only provide written feedback. We talked a lot about self-assessment using categories to self-assess, whether we are at, above, or approaching our learning goal. We are very highly focused on learning goals, so to not provide a mark would be weird for me. So I provide a mark. Now I'm very clear that none of those marks count. And if you don't hand anything in, it's not like you get a zero where there's a consequence. There's no consequences, but I'm giving you the mark because for, at least for my students, it's a language that they very clearly understand and it's quick. It's quick, it's easy, they understand it, they know what it means, and I will often give them a next step. So I'm not describing all of the things they did well in their feedback. Sometimes I will simply just give them an 8 out of 10 and tell them what I want them to do next. So there's, and there's success criteria that I've given them. So they met most of it, they met some of it. That kind of piece is there, so I will still provide marks. And I know some teachers aren't, and they're not doing any of that. I am, and I'm comfortable with it, and I know it makes sense to my students, so that's what I'm doing. And do you assign marks? So, yeah, yeah, I do, but they don't count, and I make it very clear that none of them count. But that none of the work they're doing is going to count on their report card, that it is simply work that they're doing to prepare themselves for grade six, for the future, um, because they need to do something. So that is kind of where I'm there. So how about you? Are you right now, Are you, what kind of feedback are you supplying to your students now? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Um, in your opinion, 
is, are you avoiding marks at all costs? Are you favoring some type of feedback over others? Drop your answer in the comment because I would really love to know the kinds of feedback that you are also doing because this works for me, but there's so many different ways that are going to work. And I think, remember that continuum I talked about from something to from nothing to something to everything? I think we're across the board there and I think it's okay to be wherever you are on that continuum. But I also know that sometimes you just need to see what other people are doing to kind of judge for yourself that maybe what you're doing is enough. And I think that's fine. So definitely um, written feedback as I'm seeing in the comments here, super important. I'm definitely given written feedback as well. And I think that as long as it's manageable for you and you're not staying up till two in the morning every single night, then um, that's good too. So what is feedback? According to Growing Success, they are continually talking about descriptive feedback, the feedback that is clear, specific, and meaningful. So Typically in my classroom, that would be where we would re reference success criteria and learning goals, where we would be talking about um, what is meaningful. So what I said is that we are, I will use that level of achievement because we use the stoplight level of achievement. And then it is something that they understand. So for them, it's meaningful to understand where they are and that they did enough, they didn't do enough, or that they did more than is expected. So that is one of the reasons why um, I'm giving that. If I could give color-coded circles on Google Classroom, I would. But instead, I just translated those into numbers so that they know what those are. And... It also is telling us, too, that descriptive feedback helps students learn by providing them with the precise information about what they're doing well, what needs they need for improvement, and what specific text steps they can take to improve. So written feedback and oral feedback is definitely always going to be more valuable than marks. And I would definitely say it's important to lean towards the written feedback and lean towards the oral feedback for sure. I am saying I do provide marks as well. I'm seeing in the comments that some boards and admins said absolutely no marks. And I think that's okay too. Just do what's going to work for you. But I do think when we are saying feedback, we're leaning towards the feedback of, we're leaning towards using um, that written. But it's okay for me. It's okay to also be putting marks out there too. It also means that we can enable the learner to adjust what he or she is doing. So really, that's the goal of providing feedback, is when we give it, does it help to move them forward to accomplish goals? So for me, that's really my point of feedback. If it helps them move forward, then I have to deliver that feedback in a way that I know is going to help them move forward and improve for the next time. I know some of my students, if I write them paragraphs of feedback, it's not as meaningful. They're not quite sure what to do with it, and it's they just get lost in all of the words. Sometimes I have to be very brief and specific, so I think, too, you need to know your audience and what format. As much as I'd like to write them paragraphs upon paragraphs of what they've done well and what they need to improve on, I also have to know my audience and know that sometimes 
that's not appropriate for the audience that I have. So I have to make sure that it is meaningful and it is going to help that student move forward. So I, one, of the way, one of the reasons that I, can, I feel is I do rely sometimes on the marks as well as, or marks, I like that. Um, Sheila and you said I always mark the math and tell them their answer is correct. Yeah. Um, I find that I always start with a learning goal so that they know what it is I'm assessing them on. And I will put on every single page what the learning goal is for that activity so they know what I'm looking for. And I think when we're clear about what it is we're looking for and what that learning goal is, then it can help us to make sure that our feedback is far more targeted for the students in our classroom. I also think that we need to choose one or two tasks that we're going to be providing that detailed feedback on and that not everything that the students do require us to provide them with detailed descriptive feedback. That it's okay perhaps design a summative type task where they can summarize their learning for the week and that's what you can mark. So instead of marking everything that they touch, decide that there could be some tasks that are practice and some tasks that are um, that you mark because it summarizes what it is that they have learned in the week or what they have done. And I find that that is a good way for me to quickly assess what they have been able to accomplish because they can apply the practice into that, say, math journal and share with me what they've learned. And then that's what I can evaluate or that's what I can provide feedback for. And you can provide a level and whether you do that orally or whether you write down using kind of some trigger words or whether you provide a mark or whether you complete a rubric for them that has no points, but you just highlight where they are in the rubric and there's no points. It really kind of depends on how you're choosing to provide that feedback that it's not summative assessment, but it's a way for students to track where they are and for them to decide whether they need they were on track, whether they are approaching, or whether they need they went above and beyond. And providing that feedback, it's okay for me. It's okay um, to provide that kind of feedback as long as I'm very clear that none of that feedback or that mark or that assessment is counting towards their report card mark. It's kind of free practice and free work so that they can learn those different things. I also do think that it's important to give them a next step and I want to see them moving forward and doing, um, taking what it is they need to do next. So what do I want to see them do more of? And for me, some of that accountability, I know that's been a question when I put this out on Instagram and on Facebook stories earlier today, I had a few comments about how do we make sure that they actually do the work? And for me, I'm comfortable on video, surprise, so I'm okay with going, with having video with my students. I often will have another teacher or another adult with me during those as well, and I'm definitely following um, the guidelines that have been set forth in using video conferencing with students, but I find giving them a next step and having conversations about what they did um, the previous week and talking about where we're going next definitely helps to hold them accountable because they can 
hear you or see you and can decide what it is that they're going to do and that they have to kind of follow up on that or you're going to follow up on that. So, but that same sense, I don't want to put any extra pressure on students that are overwhelmed right now and families that are overwhelmed. So just like I said last week, I have to let it go if a student isn't as engaged as I, I would like them to be. And I'm there for those that can be there with me. And I will be welcoming to those that need the support, however it's going to come for them or however much they're able to do. But at the end of the day, I need to be okay with knowing that I'm providing opportunities, but it's okay if they don't take me up on those offers. And finally, I don't count any other marks for their final mark. So all of their final marks are going to be prior to March 13th. So this is just exposure. And I'm going to provide them that feedback or that mark because it's going to help them understand that concept. And I'm really looking at teaching concepts right now. And that's kind of what I'm focusing on. So it's okay if they don't do it. And it's okay if they don't get 100%. My goal is to expose them to different topics and concepts that we would have done in the classroom to hopefully make them better prepared next year um, for those that are able to participate. So really, this is kind of where my philosophy, I guess, is knowing where they were before the break, their current work will help me decide if they move forward or they stay the same. And that's really what I'm ultimately, there's kind of two pieces of assessment, my teacher assessment that I do formally as I write their report cards, and then what I provide with my students. And right now, I'm just really trying to assess where they would have been before the break, and whether or not they have worked and shown progress. In, and I can confidently say that most of the work that they were doing is their work, and whether or not that has an impact on their mark for the report card. And if for some reason they are not participating in distance learning, then I just rely on that assessment before March 13th, and I'm okay with it. And because that's what we're being asked to do. So that's kind of where I am right now. Now I see the um, comments here where, Dawn, you're saying you're providing written feedback based on criteria you've provided. And then you tell them the criteria they did well and what the next step is. But you don't provide this written feedback on everything, usually just one or two activities a week. Um, and sometimes your comment is just thanks for sharing or asking them a question to get more info. And I think, I hope that that's manageable. That seems manageable, that it's not everything, it's one or two things, and it's okay if you're not writing this huge, like, long paragraph description that, you know, you're hoping it would be everything you would say to the students if they were standing right in front of you. It's okay to just say, you did well, good job, and that's fine, and I think we can, I think sometimes there's pressure that we put on ourselves to provide this elaborately meaningful feedback and sometimes that's more than the kids need and they just need to know did I do did I do did I do good <laughs> in the words of my students did I do good on that um I think that's what they need to know and then she says my Dawn says my biggest struggle is the lack of effort being put into assignments I provided clear instructions criteria and they still don't seem to care 
And I think that's the hard part is if they don't care, but you care that you're not seeing it matched. And I think, I don't know your students, Dawn, and perhaps you've got students of kids that are, um, perhaps you've got students that have parents that are essential workers right now and the parents are just tired and don't have time to sit and support them. So the kids might be struggling through or it's real, they're just the type of kid that needs that, you know, face-to-face connection. And this just might not be the learning environment that they're going to thrive in. And I think you've got to do what you can for those that are there and check in on those that aren't and see if there's other ways that the parents could get that support. Sometimes the parents are just doing their own thing and that's okay. Sometimes I've read on mom's groups um, that there's some parents are just like, no, I'm out. I'm done. I can't check, you know, especially with multiple kids. I can't check multiple platforms and do all this and we'll just kind of do our own thing. And I think that's okay. So, I mean, it might be okay that 15 to 18% are engaged. And if the other ones are just partially showing up, maybe that's okay too. You're doing what you can. Yeah, and maybe, maybe Fractions isn't as entertaining as video games. <laughs> I can almost guarantee you that in their point of view, Fractions or Long Division is probably never going to be as entertaining as video games. And I think in the long run, most of them are going to be okay. So I think if we let, maybe let it go. <laughs> let it go it might be okay yeah I would say just accept accept where they are accept them where they are and see if you can move them a little bit forward or get them to do a little bit more but maybe just take them as they are and and be okay with it I think that if they're not engaged maybe just it's okay and I don't think that's you giving up on them or I don't think that that's you you know, being a bad teacher, I think that's just you being respectful that every family right now is doing things differently. And it's okay to let the parents take the lead. That if it's important to the parents, then they will do what they need to do to get their kid online. And if it's not as important to the parents, then let them be the leader in that and let them say, this isn't important to us right now. So we're not enforcing it. And that's okay with us. And so if it's okay with the parents, then maybe it needs to be okay with us too. I, I think that's kind of, let let the parents lead. Now, if you've got a situation where the parents are struggling to get their kid engaged and they need your help, then maybe that's a different story. But I think I would go with where are the parents at right now and what do they need right now? And if what they need right now is just their kids to kind of, be content and not be constantly fighting with them to do their work, then maybe that's what they need. Yeah. And Sarah, Sarah, I like your comment. Just send them a message saying, please try, like, try your best and, and, you know, do what you can. And that's okay. Uh, Kimberly, I see you have curious about video conferencing. Do you have parents sitting beside the student during the video conference? Totally do. None of them are on screen, though, but I can hear them. <laughs> I can hear them. They're definitely there. Um, yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm, 
the parents that are sitting there, I know why they're sitting there and their kids need them to sit there. So I'm okay with it. And yeah, it was weird the first couple of times realizing that the parents were sitting like off camera so that it looked like it was just the student and the parents are there. I guess I just have to assume if I'm doing video conferencing that the whole world is watching because it can, it can be shared everywhere and it can be saved and, and all of those things. Just like it could happen right now. Right now, you could all take this video and do what you wanted with it. I mean, please don't, but you could. And I think when you look at it that way, um, I have... I have a sense, I do have a sense of trust with most of the parents that they are joining in because they, and if they're sitting there, chances are they're not sitting there to try to catch me up on anything. They're sitting there because they're working with their kid later on in the week and they want to know what I said because perhaps their kid will say, oh no, no, she said this, she said this, and they want to be there to hear what I actually said. Um, overall, I have had really great parent support for those that have vocalized their support. Um, so I'm okay with, I'm okay with that, but yeah, for sure. There's definitely parents sitting there. And I think that's, uh, when you look at the, um, OCT guidelines, I, I think I remember there's something saying like, just remember you're, this is public. You're publicly teaching. You're, there's no, you have no sense of privacy. If you're teaching through video, there is no sense of privacy. Your video is not a private thing because it is only as private as the people that are in the video with you. And anybody can share that out. Now, I will tell you that one of the reasons I'm not super concerned about video and what the students will do is provide, is because. I kind of am like, I'm on video and my face is on social media and I'm here talking to you all the time and I feel pretty okay with um, having my face on video and not worrying about that and not realizing that not too many people care to make fun of me. And if they do, I guess I put it out there so I deserve it. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm okay with it. So it's so far so good. Um, Bobby, you said, what are you doing on with on online? What are you doing online with students? Academic lessons, or do you have to record or post later? Recording and posting later takes more time for me than just going like being live with the students. So I will go live. My lessons per se are kind of dependent on which group I'm with. A lot of it is responding to kind of their questions and going over some of the work that they have for the week um, with a wide variety and range of needs. I know that there's a lot of students that need the information inputted into them in multiple ways. So they need to read it. They need to hear it. They need to see it. They need to be shown it. Um, so that is for a lot of the lessons is reviewing concepts. I have been doing some math 
activities where I will essentially review comments. So typically what I'm doing is I will assign them a video, say like a Khan Academy video or something I want them to watch before, kind of like a flipped classroom model in a flipped classroom. So I want them to watch a video before and then we discuss it. And I want them to kind of rely on that video as the lesson. And then I'm just kind of following up and kind of going over stuff. So today I had a fractions lesson with students and we were reviewing something and then one of them had a question. So I used my iPad and drew some pictures to kind of illustrate that question because that group kind of needed to see it and talk about it and make it real. So that was kind of hard to do with a worksheet. So we made it real and I drew a picture. So that's kind of what I'm doing online, but it changes for every single group and it really is just kind of responsive to, I don't plan for it. I just kind of have a general idea of what I want to, like what I want to talk about. And then I just are responding to student questions and concerns and activities and where they are. And I just kind of feed off of kind of what they're bringing into the meeting. Um, Sheila asks, I have a bit of a difficult class this year and I thought most of them would have dropped out by now. The other day I had everyone complete something. So while you're struggling with students not being engaged, I'm very surprised at the amount of work my students are submitting. I'm trying to give much routine to my class so they know what to expect each day and providing things that they can do hopefully to complete on their own. Sheila, I kind of agree with you. I am surprised too with some of my students really engaging in the lesson. And I wonder whether or not it's a factor of the, that they don't have each other to distract them with. I am, this is, I'm not normally somebody that can do guided instruction all of the time because I'm managing all of the things all of the time. But I can get so much done in my guided groups because I'm not managing, I'm not working with five people while managing 20 others. So I can get some stuff done and be really responsive and in the moment with those kids that I have in that small group. So it's kind of great. And I, I am surprised with some of my students who are showing up when they don't typically show up in class for the same exact reason that you're state, stating. And I think sometimes it's because they're not feeding off of each other so they can just focus on, say, the academics. So that's an, definitely an interesting perspective, I think. And I'm sure you're not the only one that has a student who is kind of you know, or a group of students that are surprising you. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, the ministry says like they can go up, like if there's something that's happening or they're engaging in this, then this is, we can, we can move their mark up if there's something different. And with that too, Sheila, I wonder, have you ever thought about how this kind of realization might change your teaching? seeing some of the or how you can bring some of that into your classroom when we finally get a chance to go back like I wonder how some of that will change for these kids in terms of understanding their learning and how that might translate into the classroom it'll be interesting I think for sure so I hope I've given you something to think about I completely understand that you might disagree with me on assessment and evaluation or that your school board or your principal might disagree with me. And I think that's okay. And I think um, what we need to look at is whatever we are doing to provide our students some feedback for what they're doing. And if we are able to help 
push them forward and provide them opportunities to expose themselves to new concepts, then we are doing what we are expected to do. And whatever that looks like for you, in whatever way it works, is perfectly fine and acceptable. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to just do what we know in our hearts is okay. And that it doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to be, you know, teacher of the year. Um, but we do just have to do what we feel we can and what we feel we're able to do and what we feel is going to be in the best interest of our students. And I think that that's okay. Before I go, Kimberly, I'm going to just address your last question. So you never met as a full class for video conferencing. I do, actually. So I meet twice. One is for small group and one is for whole group. Um, and the whole group one, it's just fun. It's me and the, some of the, the EA that's been assigned to my class, which I don't normally have one, but I do now. <laughs> Digital learning, I have an EA. Um so the EA and then the uh, prep coverage teachers, because I'm part-time, so my prep coverage counterpart um, who teaches science, she is amazing, um, and she joins me for those whole group. And we do fun stuff with them, so like we're doing Jersey Day, we did Halloween last week, like we dressed up, or two weeks ago we did Halloween where we dressed up in costumes for stuff. We just kind of do fun, we check in with them, we understand that this group needs to kind of have a social connection, so we let them share something with each other, and we just kind of make it a little bit more low-key. I've started to introduce some whole group concepts, so um, like little mini lessons for like 10 minutes over a 30-minute meeting, but nothing too formal. Yes, I think this is going to change teaching. I just wonder how it is going to change it. But anyways, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if you missed any part of this video or you're interested in perhaps the shorter pared down version, you want to watch it again, you will be able to find this video on YouTube as well as rebroadcast into a podcast. So if you have missed any of the other 134 episodes that I have done, go ahead over to Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can subscribe to the Teaching with Inquiry podcast and you can have all of the video, the audio for these videos ready to go and in your phone ready to go every Wednesday or Thursday depending on when I release it. So we will talk soon and again as I've been saying every week I do videos every single Monday night at 9. If there is something that you want to talk about and you just want to meet as a community and have a conversation about that topic, then let me know and I can definitely put that on the schedule for things that we can discuss because I think it's helpful when we can gather together as a community and really just chat. Oh, yes, Asma, you reminded me. There's a TPT sale. <laughs> There's a TPT sale Tuesday and Wednesday. And they are all of my resources, every single one of them. So Ignited Literacy, um, my math, Differentiated Math, Science and Social Studies, my digital products, as well as any of my um, at-home learning is going to be released tonight and tomorrow as well. And you are going to have that and everything on TPT on sale for 25% off. So if you can, 
stock up now and get, use it for the rest of this year. And then you can have it for next year too. So this will be most likely the last sale until we're almost ready to go back to school. So um, if you need something from TPT, tomorrow and Wednesday are definitely the days to get it. So, okay, I'm done. I'm bye. See you. <laughs> bye for now, everyone. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Inquiry Live podcast replay. You can find the links, resources, and more information from today's episode at www.teachingwithinquiry.com. Don't forget, you can always catch this show live on Facebook every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Madly Learning Facebook page. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Inquiry Live.